We're going to be uh, diving into the scriptures this morning, and we are in a new series that we started last week, which I'm so excited about, called Family Matters. And uh, the subtitle of this series has, is uh, Where We've Come From and Where We're Going. And uh, Callie and I uh, moved here a little over 18 months ago, and we are just so honored uh, to, to have the opportunity to pastor this church. Uh, if you're new this morning, my name's T.D. Davis. Uh, my wife, Callie, who's just up here, uh, we, are, we just have the privilege to lead this amazing congregation. And I just truly believe this, that 2018 is going to be a massive year for our church. And uh, God is setting the stage uh, for breakthrough and for our church um, to have a massive impact and continue to be faithful um, as he's been faithful to us for 65 years. Amen? So we, uh, we've been in this, new, this series where... Uh, talking about this family. And uh, if it's your first time this morning, we just want to say welcome. And um, you're going to get to hear some of the values. You're going to get to hear some of the um, things that this church is all about that maybe have been unspoken, but we're trying to clarify to make sure that um, uh, we are faithful to who we're supposed to be. So with that in mind, I want to start us off this morning uh, with a question. And, 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 And the question is this. It'll be up on the screen. What's our chicken? And that might be a weird question. Um, but just so you know, um, if you didn't know me, uh, I find a way to squeeze in the fact that I'm passionate about food uh, each and every Sunday. So if you're sick of hearing food, uh, this might not be the church for you, no. Uh, anyway, you got to know, when your pastor's going hard in his prayer closet and believing for God to do big things, one of the things that's in the background of my mind is what I would call a prayer list of restaurants to come to Ponca City. Come on, somebody. Come on now. We know, small town living, but with big faith. Come on, somebody. So, hey, uh, I'm just going to share with you this specific prayer list um, that has restaurants on it for our city. My Ponca City food prayer list, it starts off with something like a Chipotle or a Qdoba. Come on, somebody. Anybody ever had Chipotle or Qdoba? Right. I just feel like this place would be successful um, if somebody with millions of dollars would just decide to franchise. Uh, Anyway, uh, next on my list would be Andy's Frozen Custard. Anybody? Anybody? Come on. I love you, Freddy's, but it's just, it's not the same level. You know what I'm saying? If you've ever been to Andy's, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, next on my prayer list would be uh, something like a Jason's Deli or a McAllister, like a good sandwich place. Come on. We need sandwiches. You know what I'm saying? And, and then last but not least, um, what I would call the, the Christian chicken, uh, Chick-fil-A. Somebody else. Come on. Chick-fil-A. And you might say, well, Chick-fil-A, Pastor, that's kind of interesting because if you haven't noticed, uh, Ponca City kind of has a reputation of having a lot of chicken places. Am I right? Come on. We got Snyder's. Anybody fan of Snyder's? Ever had that? Yeah. We got uh, Snyder's. We got Snyder's Chicken. That's a great chicken place. Uh, just recently, a place on 14th opened called Golden Chick. Come on. Pretty good. I like it. You know what I'm saying? I like Golden Chick. Oh, little murmurs. Hey, you know what? Why are you hating on Golden Chick? You know what I'm saying? Uh, we got KFC. You know what I'm saying? We got chicken. You guys, we got chicken. And then somebody was like, hey, they're building a new restaurant on 14th. Like they started like, you know what I mean? Like digging up the dirt and all these things. I was like, yes. What is it going to be, God? Hear my cries. Hear my prayers. And what is it going to be? Another chicken place. Come on. Popeye's chicken. Which we got some fans of. Uh, which we should be focusing those prayers on Chick-fil-A. Come on, somebody. Um, You know what I'm saying? Anyway, I say that because Ponca City has a lot of fast food chicken restaurants. Don't forget, oh, we got Golden Corral. We got, you see, hey, God hears our cries and God hears our prayers. God is real. Uh, Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, 
But this is what I want to challenge us with. What's our chicken? Because here's what's proven is that each and everybody makes a different type of chicken, different type of recipe. We've, we've proven in our city there's a, there's a different market for a, different, a lot of different chicken places. And you'd think, why do we need more chicken? But the bottom line is they're all serving the same thing. But they're serving it with a different recipe. They're serving it with a different preparation. And I often think about this in terms of church, right? Churches, they should all be serving the same chicken, right? We talked about this a little bit last week, that each and every church is called to follow the great commandment, to love God, to love people, but also follow the great commission, which is to make disciples of all nations, right? Jesus commissioned us to be his church, filled with his spirit and his power to allow the goodness of God to flow out of our lives, to bring people with us on this journey called life, and to enter into the presence of God and understand that we can have relationship with the God of the universe. But each and every church is called to follow the great commandment and the great commission. So we talked a little bit about this last week in terms of clarifying what is our chicken? What's our recipe? Who are we? What makes us unique? I love that question I challenged us with last week is, what can we do better than 10,000 other churches? Do we know that? Because many churches, in a general sense, know how they're supposed to be biblical, but how are we supposed to follow the Great Commission and glorify God and make disciples? And here's what's so interesting about it. You can't be mediocre. If there was a chicken place that tried to come into this city and be mediocre, you know what happened? They would have to close their doors because they're not confident in who they are. They don't know the recipe. They don't bring to the table a uniqueness that defines them versus all of the other chicken places. How many of you guys know, once again, there's a lot of churches that are closing their doors in our day and age. We can't bring mediocrity to the table, but we have to be confident of who we are on our best day. And that is the aim of what we want to strike for and shoot for in this thing called life. And in this time and this season as a church, we understand that we're called to make an impact in our city and our community and also make a global impact as well. Amen? I think the next five and ten years will be really telling for churches in our postmodern society, right? Did they hand the baton off? If I, if I play on that metaphor some more, if you've ever hung out and just kind of driven around Ponca City, you'll notice there's a lot of churches, a lot of chicken, per se, being served. I think nearly 70 or maybe over 70, right? So in the midst of that, we, got, we can't be insecure. We got to understand who are we, what's our unique contribution, and how will we follow and fulfill the mission of God in our context and as a family together. So last week, uh, we kind of clarified our, our family goal, and we, we used this thing called uh, the kingdom concept, this paradigm uh, that a guy named Will Mancini uses in a book to define of who we are. Who are we on our best day? What does that look like? And um, we started to define some of these things. Um, so just to kind of uh, give us a little bit of a review, um, the, the kingdom concept uh, kind of is defined by three different areas, the local predicament, the collective potential, and the apostolic esprit. So over the past 18 months, we, we were handing out surveys to people to ask good questions about each and every one of these areas so we could figure out kind of what's our family concept? Like, wh how do we bleed? What, once again, makes us unique? So we kind of established this last week as we began to ask ourselves kind of that question. What is our chicken? What's our recipe look like? Who are we? What type of chicken do we serve? And my prayer is that we would serve and be a lot like Chick-fil-A because I just believe it's the best, right? Um, anyway, um, nobody believes that. Okay, here we go. Uh, anyway, um, do we believe we can be the Chick-fil-A of chicken sandwiches or chicken in, in our community? Come on, somebody. Yeah, five of us. Great. Uh, here we go. Uh, so let's, let's kind of review last week. 
um, a little bit in terms of what we kind of found out in terms of our, our, our family concept and our family goal. So we kind of nailed it down to this, this phrase as we kind of studied these three areas and figuring out what, what our family is going to look like. So we said our family concept is this, is that we're going to glorify God and make disciples by adopting anyone into the genuine and active love of Jesus. Genuineness and activity is huge for us. We're not going to be a church, church filled with fake Christians. We're just not. We're not. And we're going to be intimate in relationship with one another. We're going to be a family together. And we're going to be active. We're going to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word, as James encourages us in the scripture. So with that concept, we nailed down a family goal, that we will be a people that adopt everyone into the genuine and active love of Jesus. Anyone and everyone. Anyone is a candidate, and our vision is big to say everyone. We will not stop as a church until everyone comes to know the goodness of God and what he can offer someone's life, the hope that he brings. I believe the church of Jesus Christ has the best chicken to possibly serve. But once again, what does our recipe look like? And we started kind of narrowing it down to this is what we do really, really well. And our vision is simply this in this series. We titled it, The Family Matters. That no one is, is called or is supposed to do this thing called life alone. In fact, the character of God himself is community, right? Father, Son, Spirit. God within his character in himself is community, and God did not design us to live this thing called life alone. And I referenced that show on History Channel, Alone, if you've ever seen it, right? Where it's kind of like Survivor on crack, right? Where people go out and last man standing alone in the wilderness, and you got people that quit in this competition are like, I can't do it because I need community or I miss my family, this longing for relationship. So as a church, as a spiritual family, we are called to be the people that adopt others into this family. And do it in the activity and the genuineness of God so that the goodness of God would spread in our community until every single person knows him. That's our goal. That's a big goal. But here's what I know. We worship a big God. And we're going to follow that mission so faithfully. So that kind of brings us to this morning. Um, and we're in part two of this series. And we're going to be talking about this morning what I call our family motto and our family values. We're going to define what's kind of like our motto, what's kind of like our mantra, and then what is the values uh, that are kind of represented in this family. So in order to do that, we are going to be defining this morning what I'm calling our, our, our vision frame, our vision frame. And it's up on the screen, and basically here's what I know. Adopt everyone into the genuine and active love of Jesus. That's a great phrase. That's a great goal. That's awesome. But here's what I know in church. You can communicate something, and it means a billion different things to a billion different people, right? Not everybody interprets it the same. So in order for us to be faithful, to fulfill, to be accountable to that goal, we have to understand kind of what are the boundaries? What do we lean on? How do we know how to make decisions? How do we know what our brand is? How do we know what our chicken recipe is? How do we stay faithful to that? And that's where we get into this idea of the vision frame. Are you following me this morning? We cannot just define things generically, but we have to understand how to be held accountable so that we can move forward and truly fulfill that goal. Because I believe God wants to do a big thing in our city and community and beyond. Come on, this isn't just about a foundation being built for Ponca City. I believe this is a, this is a vision and this is an impact that we're going to make globally. We're going to affect the nations. Is our vision big enough? Come on. Are we capping our vision off to just sometimes ourselves? Or are we allowing God to give us his vision because he sees the world through a global lens because that's where his mission and his heart is at? To reach this earth, to reach this globe, to give hope to those who don't have hope to allow the goodness of God to impact and interfere in people's lives. So 
This morning, there's four parts of the vision frame, and this morning we're going to be defining two of them. So let's, let's break down these uh, in terms of our vision frame. Defining the four sides. So first, one of those sides was called the mission. Um, that's one of the things we're going to be talking about this morning. What's our family motto that communicates why we, exe- why we exist? Like, what, what's kind of like our mantra? What's the thing that we're just like, this, this holds us accountable uh, to, to the family concept, to the family goal, right? Next one of those sides is values. What do our family values say about who we are? How do we function? How are those things bleeding out of us, right? Next would be our strategy. What's our family plan to accomplish our goal? How are we going to do it? We got to have a strategy. We got to have a strategy. A lot of people are like, well, you know, like we're just going to do what we do as a church. No, we got to have a strategy. This matters to God. If we truly are going to put our money where our mouth is as a church and follow through with it, we got to have a strategy. We got to have a game plan. This matters to the Lord. This is our highest vocation in life, to understand that we are connected to the life source of God and that he has called us to be hope bringers, to community, to people, to allow his message of hope to spread, the goodness of God to spread. And then lastly, measures. What's our family reputation? When have we left a family legacy? What do we want people in our family to look like after they have kind of graduated and grown up in our family, right? What do we want that to look like? What are we aiming for? What attributes in people do we want to see if people hang out in this community? How do we measure success, right? How do we just celebrate together and say, man, we've made it. We've done it. We've, we've accomplished a goal. We're moving forward. How do we celebrate, right? What's the family reputation, and when have we left a family legacy for people that hang out in this spiritual family, right? Are we following this morning? Okay, sweet. So first thing we're going to nail down this morning is our family motto. Why? Do we exist? Uh, who's ready for the family motto this morning? Come on. And once again, a lot of people will be like, Here, here's the thing. I don't, as a leader, I don't make a decision in a vacuum, in a vacuum, meaning this. Uh, we are the body of Christ. We're going to get into this with one of our values, but um, it's, it, I'm not the head of the church. Actually, Jesus is the head of the church. And each and every one of us plays a different role and a function. Some of us are more of the skin, right? The upfront kind of platform. Some of you in the room, you're like, communicating scares me to death. I do not want you to do that. So maybe you function in more of one of the internal organs. But how many of you guys know, skin without bones or internal organs, the body falls apart. This isn't all about one pastor, one person. He's called the shepherds, the apostles, the prophets. We're going to get into this later. But I just want to I understand that, that we did surveys and stuff because we wanted to listen. As a staff, as a people, as a, as a shepherd of this church, I don't want to tell this church what it is. I want to listen and understand this history, the rich history of 65 years, and understand how we can catapult and understanding who we are on our best day. So this statement and who we are has boiled out of the survey and all these, this data that we collected and understanding. Who are we, right? So here we go. Here's our family motto. Our family motto, we exist to be the church, not a building. We exist to be the church, not a building, right? Let me kind of break this down this morning because this coincides directly in terms of what it means to be a spiritual family, right? Family matters, that we are, we are the church. Church is not a place or a destination that you go to, but we are the church. So let me give you a relevant example of how this breaks down in a really practical way in terms of how we're going to actually reach and connect with people. I, wanna, I, wanna, I don't want to tiptoe around any issues, but I just want to be really frank and really honest in a practical example that I've seen where the church has really failed uh, people in a big way in our society. I want to talk a little bit about human sexuality this morning. Is that okay? Can we just be frank? Can we be honest? I truly believe we're a spiritual family. We can talk open and honestly about things that, that maybe we're uncomfortable about. But I want, I want to have the lens and understanding of Jesus and understand as, as, a, as a church of Jesus uh, ways that maybe we've missed it. 
I want to talk about a group of people that feel really ostracized, really rejected, really judged in the church of Jesus today. Um, and that would be homosexuals, but that also would be people that choose a life of singleness or in a season of singleness. These people have felt very, very alone in terms of the tone that's been coming from the global, you know, or, or nationally, the church of Jesus. So how does this really break down today? Here's, here, I just want to break this down. In terms of, of, of a biblical interpretation of what a lot of churches have done in terms of, A, judged a lot of people, but this is what the church has been communicating to a lot of people that are choosing a life of singleness, right? Or, or people that, as a mark of discipleship, you're saying, oh, you have that sexuality? Okay, well, live a life of celibacy. This is what the church has done. They shouted, live a life of celibacy. Live a life of celibacy. Your, your contribution is to live a life of celibacy. We get so good at shouting it. And then our solution becomes, just start coming to the church. Just start coming to the building. Start hanging out. And what we don't realize of how that becomes a practical breakdown in people's life. You know, if somebody takes a choice to live a life of celibacy, you know what that means? They're saying no to a family of their own. They're saying yes to loneliness on holidays. They're saying yes to when you actually think about the person's life and situation, all the things they're having to say no to. And as a church, we're just saying, come to the building. Come to the building and allow that to be fulfillment in your life. That's where this breaks down. The church, come on, the church is not a destination. The building is not the destination because we are the church we are a family to extend to those who feel ostracized. We are those who communicate with a tone that says, we will choose to love you no matter where you find yourself. We choose to be the intimate family. And here's what I know. Wake up call for us. No wonder why the LGBTQ community wants nothing to do with the church. Because we haven't given them actual practical solutions and our tone has not been be a part of this family. It's been go to church, go to church, go to church. Christian 101 this morning, everybody. We are the church. The church is not a building. Can I be really frank with you this morning? We exist to be the church, not a building. Now, here's what I know. Every building, every church needs to have a home, and that matters. You're going to see that kind of bubble up in our, in our values. But if anything can be our mantra, if we're going to be a spiritual family, we need to understand that church is not a destination. Church isn't something that you go to. Church is who we are. It's a group of people, Right? You can't disassociate from church as a Christian any more than you can disassociate from humanity as a person. We don't go to church. We are the church. The main reason I love gathering with the church is because I am the church. You don't attend church. You are the church. Now, this morning, what do we have? We have a church service, something that we attend, something that is a vehicle in the church's life to encourage us. My prayer is that this, when we gather on Sundays, it would be a place of encouragement. It would be a place where people meet Jesus maybe for the very, very first time. But it's just one of the slices of the larger pie of what it means to be the church. Amen? Being the church has something to do with living your life for Christ, demonstrating God's love by serving others, and sharing your faith with people. And here's what I know. This is very different than coming to church just to consume, right? Just... Here's what I know. If, if, if you come to church and, and it becomes all about you, having that type of mentality is the same type of mentality that you can have by just sitting on your back porch. Come on, somebody. We live in a day and age. We have this thing called technology. And I, I, I'll just be honest with you. If you just want to hear a good sermon, if you just want to hear some, some amazing preachers, uh, Google a couple guys that I know who are phenomenal. 
One by the name of Stephen Furtick, right? His church is experiencing revival in North Carolina. And guess what? He will be a better communicator than I ever could be. You want to hear a good preacher? Listen to Judah Smith from uh, Church Home in Seattle, right? I grew up in Seattle in the Northwest. One of my heroes in the faith as far as a communicator is Judah Smith. That guy can preach about anything, right? Hey, if you want to listen to a good sermon, uh, hey, this is real for us in Oklahoma. Listen to Craig Rochelle. That guy can preach a ten times better message than you'll ever hear at this church. But here's my point. You can do any of those things on your own. But when we start realizing that those things don't separate us, we realize that it's not about attending church. It's about being the church. We exist to be the church, not a building. God has called us on mission to not just be attenders, but to turn that around and understand church is a vehicle to serve others. We are not going to be a church that just allows people to exist in the area of serve me, serve me, serve me. Because Christian maturity moves in a direction to look like Jesus. And guess what Jesus came to do? Serve, not to be served. Come on, somebody. We exist to be the church, not a building. Let's look at what the Bible says, right? I, I mentioned this, but I love the way the message puts it, right? Mark 10, 45. That is what the Son of Man, referring to Jesus, one of the titles of Jesus, has done. He came to serve, not to be served. And here's what I know. Our church has existed for 65 years, not on the foundation of consumerism. You don't, you don't exist as a church filled with people that are consumers. It doesn't exist for, you can't last for 65 years. Am I right? Because it demands a community that says, I'm not going to just be a complainer. I'm not just going to be a consumer, but I'm going to transition and being a contributor. The reason why this church still exists today after 65 years of faithfulness is because we've always been a church that isn't about consumerism, but it's about contributing to the needs of the community. It's about being a light in the midst of our community. It's about bringing hope to practical needs that exist in our community. So it's no surprise for us, standing on the shoulders of those who have gone before us, that our mantra would be such as, come on, we exist to be the church, not a building. Amen, anybody? Come on. Am I, are you tracking? Those of you who have been to this church and attended this church longer than I ever have, come on, somebody. This is us. And this is where we're, how we're going to continue to clarify and hold accountable to how we move forward and how we adopt everyone into the genuine and active love of Jesus. Come on, somebody. Amen? All right. We're moving forward. Okay, we, uh, our family motto. We got that. We exist to be the church, not a building. Let's move into our family values. Who are we? Who are we? Now, I, I, Callie doesn't know this, but I took a picture of our family values that we have at home. I, I truly believe this. Each and every home, uh, you play by a set of values. Now, some of those are unspoken, right? Uh, ours, uh, Callie decided to put them up on our wall, and I loved it. So last night, I took a picture of this. I was like, this is a great example of like, hey, every, every family functions with some values. So here's ours, right? In this family, we trust God. We speak life. We are bold. We don't fake it. Come on. I ain't faking it. We obey him. We are honest. We choose joy. How many guys know that joy sometimes has to be a choice? How many of you know sometimes I wake up on... Uh, on Sunday morning, I'm like, man, I don't know if I feel like preaching this morning. And it takes a decision to say, you know what, I choose joy. Because I know that you want to impact somebody, even though I'm not feeling it today, God. Come on. We choose joy. We invite others. I love this one. I read it for the first time. I was like, we don't play. We don't play. I was like, Kelly, do you realize you put that up? I love that. Hey, we don't play. And then I realized it, it continues. We don't play favorites. You know, I was like, dang it. I was like, let's just erase the favorites because there's something about that. You know what I mean? Hey, we don't play. Come on now. You coming to this house? 
Um, <laughs> and then lastly, uh, we lay down our lives, right? We lay down our lives for others. It's not about us. Every, 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 every household, every, every family functions by a set of values. So this morning, I want to clarify who we are. Once again, how, how are those things bubbling up in, in, in who we are and, and, and our family concept and our family goal, right? How are those things informed? I love it. Our family goal and our family concept just kind of hangs out in the background. It kind of informs everything we do, and this is beginning to build a frame and understanding what our vision looks like, how we make decisions, how we move forward into this new season as a church. Anybody following me? Cool. Okay. So first and foremost, let's, let's look at our first value. Family value number one is this. We're going to be talking about our family's table. We're going to be playing off the metaphor of a family. We're going to be playing off the metaphor of a, of a household and how we function. So that it's easy to remember, right? Um, I shared this with our council this week. Uh, the guy uh, who started Chick-fil-A, Truett Cathy, um, it was many years ago. He gathered all at a convention for Chick-fil-A in Atlanta. And if you've ever been to Chick-fil-A, um, you know right off the bat what response you're going to get when you say thank you. Anybody know? You say thank you at Chick-fil-A, what do they say in response? Okay, this is the reason nobody wants a Chick-fil-A in our city. Because you guys have never been there! It's going to change your life! It's Christian chicken, you guys. Um, like, if anybody, like, the church should be eating this stuff up. Anyway, if you've ever been to Chick-fil-A, you say thank you, and it's weird because they say back to you, I mean, literally, robotically sometimes, my pleasure. And the whole story of this, of this whole thing is true at Kathy, I guess, one time uh, went to, like, a Ritz-Carlton, and he said thank you to one of, the, like, the people at the desk, and they said, they responded to him and said, my pleasure. And there was something inside of him that made him feel so good about that. He's like, well, that made me, made me feel wonderful. So several years ago, he stood in front of the, the convention of Chick-fil-A, and, and, and he said to all of his employees, all these people that had traveled to Atlanta to learn about the company, to kind of clarify values and, and their vision and everything, and he stood before them, and he said, here's what I want to happen. Every time somebody says thank you in one of our restaurants, I want your response to be my pleasure. So you know what happened? He gets all pumped up. He gets all fired up, right? And he tells the, all these employees and people at Chick-fil-A. So what happens the next day? True at Kathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A, goes to a Chick-fil-A. Orders what he orders. He says thank you. And what does he get in reply? My pleasure? No. You're welcome. And he was like, oh, man. They say it took five years for that motto and for that mantra to actually take off. So I say this to let you know you're going to be hearing me repeat things a lot, right? In order for this to be something that we can stay focused and attention to, it's five years for Chick-fil-A to establish one of their mantras, but this is a part of our culture. We're going to remind each other and be committed to understanding that we need to continue to speak our values because this is who we are. So table. Hopefully this helps us remember this helps us understand what we default to, this metaphor of, of, of the household. So let's first talk about the table, right? Because the table is a place where it's a place of intimacy for a family, where you have dinner together, where you have conversations, where you catch up on your day, right? Where there's just massive things that happen relationally. And I love it because the Bible used so much, so much beautiful imagery for what the table is supposed to represent and what it looks like. But here's, here's what we're saying with our first value. Our family's table always has an open seat. We're going to invite anybody and everybody to the table, to the place where relational intimacy happens, to understand that there's a place for each and every person. And the subtext of that is we are a tight-knit tight -knit with a goal to never stop expanding. We will be a tight-knit family, but how many of you guys know you can get so tight-knit that you forget that there's other people? And here's what I know. Our God is a God for everyone, anyone and everyone. So we are going to be a people that, yeah, we're going to be tight-knit. We're going to do life together. We're going to be a spiritual family. 
does the nitty-gritty with each other, but guess what? There's always going to be an open seat, and we can't forget that. Because if we forget that, guess what? These doors are going to be closing before you know it. Because it's all about us, and it's not about what's happening outside. It's not about those. It's not about the mission, right? We get so caught up. I talked about this last week. The methods of how we do ministry that we forget about the mission is for other people. Be the church, not a building, right? We get so caught up of doing our own household chores that we forget that there's an outside world where we need to invite and grab people to come to the table. Amen? I love what 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says. It says, talking about communion. The Apostle Paul writes and he talks about Jesus and the table, right? The Lord's table. As he broke bread and, and drank wine with his apostles, his disciples, right? It says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. I love what, I love what the Lord's table, I love what communion represents. It represents the, the, the bread, right? Broken, representing his body, broken for us. And here's how that goes outside the walls of the church. We understand that our life's not our own, and our lives are chosen to be broken for others. That sometimes people offend us. Sometimes people hurt us. But how many of you guys know that the scripture says, love your enemies? Woo! That's tough to do, but I love it. The Lord's table shows you might invite people in intimately, but they might break you. But that's we're willing, we're willing to try, right? That's, that's what the table represents. And then, once again, the blood, right? The universal blood of Jesus that covers anyone and everyone. Come on, somebody. That when we participate in that table, the way it goes beyond our household is understanding that that blood's universal. So we should, from a biblical precedence, understand that anyone should be invited to our table because Jesus invites anyone and everyone who chooses to come sit with him. Amen? Value number one. Let's get that back up on the screen. Our family's table always has an open seat. We're tight-knit with a goal to never stop expanding. Can I get an amen, anybody? You belong. That's why we say it. We truly mean it. Or we could be fake and not and just have a sign out there. Or volunteers that wear a t-shirt. And actually, we're just jerks with a smile on our face. Nope. That'll be held accountable in this church. Amen? Cool. Let's go on to next value. Family value number two. Here we go. Let's talk about our family's kids. Our family's kids. Come on. Yeah. When the children's pastor goes woo on the family's kids part, we know she has the right seat on the bus. You know what I'm saying? Uh, we love you, Sarah. And we're excited Sarah's back from uh, maternity leave. Come on, somebody. Um, here's what we believe. Our family's kids are today's future. We believe the next generation is now. <sighs> Sometimes get frustrated with this. When I was a youth pastor, I got frustrated with this. Many times when we talk about age and stage ministry, when we talk about, you know, cradle to college, we talk about it and we label it as next gen. And all that does in my mind is enables people to never hand the baton off. But here's what I realize. Come on. Kids eat first in our family. Kids eat free in our family. You ever been to a restaurant where kids eat free? You're like, I'm going there. I'm on a family budget, right? But we want people to feel the same way in understanding that we value kids. 
The kids in our family are a priority. If you have children of your own, you know how much this consumes of your life in order to pour in and to see your kids grow up and to mature. So when it comes to kids in our house, come on, we prioritize them and we believe. We don't just say we believe, but we empower them. They are today's future. We believe in the next generation and we believe they are the now generation. Come on, somebody. We're not going to just be a person that says we value young people. And then, our, and then it's not represented up on our stage for worship or for volunteers. Come on. We, we believe in handing the baton off. We believe in young leaders. Yes, people have to mature. But we're not going to just say it. We believe it. We understand that this is another paradigm that we see in the Gospels. We see in the Scriptures. So let's talk about this. Luke chapter 18, verses 15 through 7. I love this, right? This is so funny to me. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. Jesus is, you know, he's, things are going bananas. Jesus is healing people. Jesus is allowing the goodness of God to ooze out of his life as he ministers. And the disciples see this, and they rebuke them. They start rebuking the little babies. Are you serious? You heartless people. You know what I'm saying? These are the people that Jesus chose. Come on, somebody. If you're discouraged this morning, you're like, man, I made some bad choices and I, maybe it's not at the level of rebuking babies. Come on. There's a place for you. Come on, somebody. I don't care what excuse you can make, but God chooses you, believes in you, and believes there's a future for you. Come on, somebody. Don't let the guilt of our culture make you believe a lie that says there's not a future for you. Even though if you've made mistakes or you carry attitudes, it's like, well, that doesn't reflect God's heart. Here we go. Let the little, but the Jesus called the children name and said, let the little children come to me. And do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God, like a little child, will never earn it. So Jesus puts our maturity and understands, yeah, as children, we're going to grow up. But a big part of it is we need to have childlike faith. Understanding this, when it practically breaks down to an actual child, when we deposit seeds in this season of their life, when they're children, there's a massive manifestation of God that can grow and can develop later. This is why prioritizing kids and planting seeds in this season of their life becomes massive because a childlike faith is childlike when there's a child. Come on. So we're going to plant seeds in that season, understanding that the harvest is going to be massive when we do those things. But let's also talk about uh, young people. Um, let's talk about teenagers, right? First Timothy chapter 4, verse 11 through 12. Love this. Um, command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But set an example for the believers in speech and conduct in love and faith and impurity. Come on. This is, this is Paul speaking to the younger pastor, Timothy. Now, it's interesting to think in the culture during this time, young was like considered under 40, right? So anyway, that, that's what young was considered. But here's what we know. It doesn't matter. The age doesn't matter. Age ain't nothing but a number. Because an example can be set. Age does not always equal spiritual maturity, Right? So guess what? If we get them young and we pour into young leaders, that means that they can be an example. Paul says, don't get discouraged. You're young, but lead by setting an example. So we believe in pouring into young people and set the example and holding people accountable in their spiritual development. Pouring into young leaders, understanding that baton needs to be passed. That's a part of what we do. There's power when we invest in the spiritual seeds of our young people. And anyone, when we say anyone and everyone, anyone includes believing and empowering young people to be leaders, to lead, to have a place where they can fail, but they can be caught in the arms of people that care and pour into their lives and understand this is an environment where people can grow 
where people can learn, where people can have a shot. I remember just sitting in church for a long time, looking at the worship team and saying to myself, feeling inspired, and just saying, you know, I, I wish that could be me. I love music. I'm passionate about music, but I hadn't picked up an instrument. I just loved music. But there was a time when that, that, that shifted from inspiration to empowerment, right? Where somebody actually practically asked me, said, hey, do you play an instrument? Hey, do you play guitar? Started playing guitar a little bit. My youth pastor asked me, hey, you play guitar? Hey, come check it out. Come to our worship rehearsal. Come be a part. Can I tell you that that empowering process catalyzed me to where I, I am today? That changed my life, you guys. We got to be a church that doesn't inspire. We empower. We leave room for people to understand that they can play a part, especially young people. We believe in young leaders. We believe in the development of young leaders, and we believe in their spiritual development and maturity. Amen? That is one of our values. And how many of you guys know that's been expressed in our history through many different ways in how we reach kids and youth? We have a history that's rich with awesome kids programs and youth programs, right? But as we live in a new day and age, the methods need to change, but the mission stays the same. Amen? All right. Uh, next, let's talk about uh, our family's neighbors. Every family's probably got some neighbors, right? Moving into the neighborhood, and here's what we're saying about our neighbors, right? The ones who live next to our household, the ones that live in this community, our family's neighbors are worth the risk of failure. We operate with big faith to make our neighbors family. Once again, we don't live for ourselves. But we live to understand that we surround ourselves, we have influence by just being, by just being a family. Typically, there's people in our circle of influence that are living right next door. Maybe that's somebody in your workplace. Maybe that's somebody who physically lives next door to your household. But as a church, we have neighbors as well. We have people in our community that maybe are far from the realities of God, and we want to adopt them into that life and understanding that God is good. Taste and see, the Bible says, that the Lord is good. There's a goodness that oozes out of his character, offers us an abundant life. Let's look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 through 13. It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples, right? Jesus was hanging out with sinners. He did that. Verse 11, well, I almost tripped. Uh, verse 11, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Here's what I know. We prioritize people that are far from God. We're going to get flack for it. That comes with the territory. That's what's illustrated here. But we cannot be shaken from the fact that we exist to reach our neighbors. We exist to reach people. That our church, once again, we're going to be the church, not a building, moved locations five or six, maybe seven times. I'd have to count over our 65 years of history as I researched, right? It's never been about the building, but it's been about big faith moves to know that we do it for our neighbors, that we do it, we take big faith risks to make an impact on people that are far from God. We make a big faith decision to make sure our neighbors experience the goodness of God. How do we exist in terms of how we relate to our neighbors, we're going to be people that understand, once again, we might be rejected. People might say, no thanks, but it's worth the risk. But we got to start putting ourselves out there. And our personal lives, come on, we got to get a little bolder with our faith, understanding that rejection kind of comes with the territory. But that's, a, that, that, that's the, having the idea of the fear of rejection is, is, is 
bred out of fear, right? But we can't be fearful people. Come on, we got to live in this day and age understanding that there's an urgency, man, for people to come to know him. But this is one of our values. This is who we are. And this is how we're going to operate and hold ourselves accountable. That, man, healthy people, people maybe that are already a part of the family, come on, they don't need a doctor. You said it's sick people do. So we're going to put a huge emphasis on making sure it's one of our values, one of our family values, that we love our neighbors. Amen? We're going to adopt our neighbors. Okay, let's talk about our family city. Family value number four. Come on, we sit in this vicinity, this community. So there's the locality of a neighborhood, but what about beyond that, right? What about the city that we live in? So our family city is the subject of our heart and the object of our love. Subtext, we desire our city and community to experience the goodness of God. We need to be a church that's known by what we're for rather than what we're against. A lot of people know church by what we don't want. But it's not the bad news of Jesus, it's the good news. So if we're going to lead with anything, we're going to lead with the goodness of God, the realities of God. Understanding, come on, that when something's the subject, when something's the subject, we, we have to take that. This was a phrase, we, we, last week we talked about some phrases that came up. The subject versus the object was one of these things that came up. That we have to allow our city to be the subject. We have to listen to our city. Our city's communicating, our city's aching, our city's striving and saying something. And we need to let that to inform us that there's opportunities, right? We listed some opportunities that we had. Some of those are cruxes where it's like, well, I mean, let's just let those people be. It's like, no, no, no. That's who we're called to minister to. That's who God's allowed us to minister in this locale and this opportunity to make a difference in, right? Our city becomes the subject. So it's going to constantly become the subject of our heart, why we do what we do. If things don't look like God and the utopia that God desires, we're going to be a solution to transform it and change it into that utopia. That's how our city becomes our subject, subject, but an object, right? Rather than us telling what our cities need, oh, we're filled with a bunch of sinners, with people that don't have vision. With, I mean, I've heard it all, right? Well, we just, we don't have enough restaurants. Get in your prayer closet and pray for that Chick-fil-A then. Come on. Come on. Right? Come on. We can complain all we want, but once again, as a family, we're not going to complain. We are going to contribute so the object of our city isn't going to be complaining, isn't going to be whining, isn't going to be saying the things that we don't have. The object is going to be Jesus' love. We're going to listen to the subject of our city and let the object, if anything, we're going to pour forward as the object towards people, towards our city, it's going to be the love of Jesus. Come on, somebody. We're going to be held accountable to this. So when we have that other attitude, we're going to remind ourselves, wait a second, our value says this. Are we catching on on how we can function as a spiritual family and continue to allow the main things to become the plain things in terms of what we're aiming and how we look and, and, and what type of family we're going to function as and our values? Amen? All right, let's look at Romans 2 really quick just to kind of solidify this point in the Scriptures. Romans 2, chapters 1 through 4 says, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them, yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience not? Continuing on. Realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. It is God's kindness that leads others to repentance. Not shouting, not judgment, 
not the tone of social media where we feel the freedom to say whatever the heck we want in front of a computer screen. We're not going to be those people that hide out and, and, and just say a lot of ignorant stuff on social media because you know what that does? It doesn't lead people to repentance, but it's kindness, the goodness of God, the good news that leads people to finding God's goodness, to experience God himself in a world that does a bad job of portraying those things. What an opportunity for the church of Jesus to rise up in its grace, in Jesus leading the way in his love, his grace, his forgiveness. Come on, somebody. We want others to know us more by what we are for, not what we're against. We are for Ponca City. And we are for Ponca City in a genuine and active way. We want to be genuine people, and we want to be people that are active in that. Amen? Okay. We got six values total. We're moving on to number five. Here we go. Anybody tracking with me? Is this good? Is this good that we're clarifying this? Come on. Yeah, like three of us once again. Okay, here we go. I, we just got a lot of silent nodders. I'm just realizing that. I'm not letting it affect my ego or whatever. You know, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I know this. We're, we're tracking. Here we go. Uh, family value number five. Here we go. Let's talk about our family's members, right? Because every household has members of the family, right? Our family's members are the greatest opportunity for leadership. We see that the best leaders are developed in the house. If we're commanded in the Bible uh, to make disciples, that means that the church becomes the greatest vehicle to pour into disciples, right? To develop leadership. I love the survey and the data that we looked at last week where it talked about um, kind of like who we are, right? And one of the things that, that came up in terms of our people was we have a lot of people that want to help, um, and that's partnered with people that want to do good. So we have helpers that want to do good, and what an opportunity we have to develop people. You may be sitting in here this morning not seeing your leadership potential yet, but I hope our church and this spiritual family encourages you to see your life and your leadership potential through God's eyes, through kingdom eyes, understanding there's things maybe beyond your scope of understanding who you are that God wants to call you into. Because I believe that we as a church are called to pour in and allow our members and the people that live in this house to constantly encourage one another to develop in spiritual maturity. I love when the scripture talks about that. We can't just drink on spiritual milk forever like infants. If you're a person in a household, you got to grow up. you got to mature. Come on, if you've been sitting in the pews or chairs, we don't have pews, for years upon years saying that you're a Christian, but you're still drinking from spiritual milk, what's going on? we got to make move forward. Some of these basic principles, right? We're going to be a family that encourages you to mature. Because we're a household. People don't stay babies forever. They grow up. They mature. And we understand that when that happens, leadership is developed. And we got a lot of people that are developed that understand the clear mission, the vision, and become lieutenants to make sure that we accomplish this goal that we're saying we're going to adopt everyone, anyone and everyone, into the genuine and active love of Jesus. Amen? Here's, here's what Ephesians chapter 4 says. It says, uh, so Christ gave himself, or Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Come on. There's not just pastors in that list. I mentioned this earlier. Doesn't just fall on pastor shepherds, but here's what we understand. There's pastors in here right now. Maybe you don't know it yet. 
There's apostles, people that oversee things, can take big projects and shepherd the bigger picture. Come on, there's prophets in here. There's people that God speaks to you pretty clearly, and you can speak into different things. It's pretty amazing, right? Maybe that's a gift you don't see in yourself yet. Maybe you guys have a gift. Somebody in here has got the gift of teaching, man. We need to pour fuel on that fire and that gift. Here's the point of this, right? Once again, there's a variety of gifts. It's not just up to one person with a vision, but we are our best selves. We represent the body of Christ when we all have shoe in the game and we all understand that we're all called to leadership because if you're making disciples, that means people are following you. Leadership is not a title. It's whether you look beyond your, shul- beyond your shoulder and you see people are behind you. Let's live, lead people into the genuine and active love of Jesus. And let's take leadership, Christian leadership, seriously. And here's what I love. That's developed in this house. The greatest leaders are going to be developed in this place. Not like, well, I wish we could just hire Joe Schmo over there or whatever. No. House developed. That's, that's the church of Jesus. We're called to do that. Amen? And then finally, our last value here, let's talk about our family's home. Our family's home displays the standard of heaven. We gather with excellence, vibrancy, and passion. Once again, we exist to be the church, not a building, but we want to make sure our home kind of looks good. Come on, somebody. If we're adopting people into this family, when you at your house have guests over, what do you do? You prepare. You don't just leave everything disheveled. If you care about what people think or you care about make an impression on somebody, you clean up. You vacuum the rooms you're going to use. You clean the kitchen. You prepare, right? Hospitality is one of the greatest marks in the scripture of a true Christian. Love what it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 13. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. We want to make sure if people come to this home, that it's one where we're being extremely hospitable. We can't expect, come on, you come into the church, if you came to the church today for the first time and you weren't greeted or warmly greeted, I just want to let you know that that's something that we want to make and take very seriously. Now that we're clarifying our values, my hope is that we understand this means something. That once again, we're not going to just say we do these things. These are the things that we're getting down to the nitty gritty and saying, these are our values, so we're going to follow through, which means we need teams. We need people that aren't going to just consume and contribute. We need more parking lot people. We need more people that are pouring into the next generation. We need people to transition from just consuming to contributing because we want to cast a wide net because God has called us to be fishers of men. That's why we're here. One thing in church to do, ask ourselves the questions, why? Is this just a religious experience or do we understand that we're following after a mission that God sees every person, every tribe, every tongue, and he wants global dominion because he understands that his ways are better. I would not be a Christian here today if I didn't believe that God's life was the abundant life, that I'm not perfect, that I can't do everything on my own. Come on, we're serving the greatest chicken ever, which is the gospel, the good news of Jesus. But we're getting into it and we're clarifying what our recipe is, and it's good. It's good. We got to be hospitable. Got to think about others. We got to allow this place to be a place where people feel welcome. Not overbearing, because you can overdo it. Right? Like, greet the same guy, like, six times with a big, massive bear hug. Like, that's not what we're aiming for, right? We respect people's boundaries. So, if you don't understand social cues, maybe you shouldn't be on the parking lot team. You know what I'm saying? Like, we got to create clarity. We got to make sure that people are on the right seats of the bus. That's why understanding who we are is a big part of it. Not everybody's good at everything. We're doing growth track in a couple months. We do a personality quiz in that test to figure out who you are. What's your personality type? And then we give you a list of maybe areas that you would be a good contributor in, right? 
That's why we're doing these things, you guys. It's not about us. It's not about us. We're on a mission. Making that adoption process easy. If anybody knows what the process of adoption looks like, literally, not an easy process. If we're adopting people in, we've got to make sure that process is so easy for people to become a part of this family. Amen? Next, Hebrews chapter 12 that kind of clarifies this says this. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm. To a trumpet blast or such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word would be spoken to them because if they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. So I love what Hebrews does there. It sets this stage of like, here's, here's, here's the old covenant, right? Here's the fear people lived. Here's the booming voice of God. Here's people like, man, like, I'm living in fear. Moses trembling, right? Receiving the Ten Commandments and understanding that the, the, the people of God got into this covenant with God that wasn't ideal. But there's a contrast being made talking about the better covenant in Hebrews, this better agreement that God had in store for his people. It says, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel, which screamed death, right? So we have this contrast of judgment to joy. That when we come in the presence of God, when we come into the house of God, when we come into this house, it better be one that's filled with joy. Because we're going to worship with all the joy, the excellence, and understanding that God's presence is communicated in beauty. And I know we're in an old school, but guess what? That's why we believe in renovation projects. We believe that when we renovate, God's beauty is being expressed, and that means something to somebody. Right? That's why we drive to do things with excellence. Excellence and hospitality transcend. Here's what I mean by that. Let's use worship songs as an example, right? Every worship song you choose, not everybody's going to like it. I was a worship leader for many years. You realize that very quickly when you receive song requests after every service, right? Well, what about this song? What about that song? You got to choose. You only got three to four songs every Sunday, so you got to choose. But here's my point, right? We could choose any worship song. We could default to any worship style. But if you do it well, it makes a difference. Somebody could walk into our church and say, well, that's not my flavor, But I noticed that it was done really well. And I noticed young people are being impacted by it. Excellence and hospitality. That's why this matters. That's how our home is going to function. That's how our house is going to function. One where we strive to make sure the beauty of God is expressed. And it's a place of hospitality for each and every one to have an opportunity to encounter the living God. Amen? A restaurant you would take your friends to doesn't necessarily have all the glitz and glamour and the lights. I went to a church this past week with a bunch of my pastor friends in Dallas that just moved into a multi-million dollar facility. They had an LED wall on their stage that was like four times the height of this at the back of our stage. $250,000, you guys. That's a house on the platform. You know what I'm saying? A nice house. Come on, somebody. But here's what I know. You don't have to, when you bring your friends to a restaurant, it doesn't have to have the 250,000 LED wall, does it? No, it's got to have good service. It's got to have a good product. That's why we put so much emphasis in making sure that we treat people how they want to be treated. 
That's why we make sure that with everything that we have, we make sure that people who come into this place have the best experience possible. That is why it is a value. Excellence and hospitality transcend. And here's what I'll say as we, as we close. If some of you grew up in maybe a broken home or maybe in a, in, in a family that maybe some of these values that encourage health wasn't present, you can relate then to the friends that you had where they invited you over to sleep over for the night and you just had such a joy in your heart because you loved spending the night at your buddy's house because you just loved being around that family. You loved going to that household. You loved being a part of something that maybe wasn't represented in your own life. You know my heart, my prayer is for this church? We would be that for people's spiritual refuge, right? We would be that place to understand that each and every one of us need God, need the Lord to be our spiritual father and our guide. Some of you might have grown up in a really healthy household. That's great. But without God, man, we're left to our own devices. My heart is that we would be that for so many people in our community, that we would adopt people into a place where they can grow. They could understand who their God is and who their God is for. He's for us. He loves us. He's for Ponca City. He's for this community. And I don't know about you, but I'm excited for what's to come. Our family motto, we exist to be the church, not a building. And our family values, they help frame our goal. They help frame our vision. So in the next couple weeks, we're going to finish that frame. We're going to continue to define that. Next week, we're going to talk about our strategy. And then the following week, uh, we're going to be talking about our reputation. What kind of legacy do we want to leave behind? What's our aims? What's our measures in terms of how we define success in terms of who we are as a church? Amen. Anyone and everyone. No one is called to live their life alone. Family matters. Here's what I believe. We're going to build more households. My desire is that we become a church that plants church planting churches. That if this household's good, come on, if this household follows through in their vision, everyone means that we can't just do it in one locale, but we need to create a movement. And if, if there's leaders in the house, there might be some church planters in the house that don't know their church planters yet. There might be people that don't understand their potential in the way that God sees them. Come on. If we really believe this. We believe it beyond our community that we are called to be a household that plants other house-planting households. That's, that's the vision that I see, that wherever our vision's been capped off, let's blow the ceiling wide open to understand if we stay focused on mission, hold ourselves accountable, who knows what we'll be able to accomplish. <sighs> Church, are you with me? Are we in this? Are we going to follow through in the mission and be held accountable as we move forward and move into our vision and move into this next year? I am so excited. I hope you're excited as well.